Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airways Podcast, Season 4, Episode 10. I'm Helwing Vijamisar, joined by Rohan Anand and Vinay Paskara. And our special guest, First Officer, Marit Gorte. Is that how you pronounce it? Gorte? Yes. There you go. Uh, unless, unless you want to spell it the or, or pronounce it the Dutch way, and then it's Gorte. Okay. You know, we, we try to be faithful to the original pronunciation. And- all right. So, yes, Marit uh, is an airline pilot. She's actually Aruba's first and only female airline pilot. So uh, it's great to have you uh, as a trailblazer in your profession. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. It's an honor. All right. So let's begin. Um, I think for today, we, we want just to delve into your bio, your experience as a, a female uh, airline pilot and and other topics. So we can begin. Yeah. All right. So um, when I was about 10, I wanted to be an astronaut, then realized that uh, pretty quickly um, that the chances of actually going to space were minimal. And uh, so then that went from airline or so astronaut to uh, being an Air Force pilot. I thought that that would be interesting as well. Then my mother insisted that I get a normal education which I did. And then that dream of flying actually never went away. So I finished, I uh, studied business and I finished that. And then um, started working for American Airlines down in Aruba, which is where I'm from. And um, uh, met my now ex-husband, super nice guy, but we couldn't be married. We had our two daughters. He encouraged me to be a a pilot. He, He... then we decided that maybe we should do the, the family thing first. And if you still want to go fly afterward, then go ahead. So we made that choice. And um, then when I was 40, I decided to go flying again. Our daughters were old enough. We had split up. Um, I was free as a bird and literally free as a bird and uh, started flying seriously. And um, I did all my... Um, uh, all my flying and licenses um, and check rights, etc. in Florida, another place in Florida, and uh, then started applying for jobs and ended up uh, at an airline in Aruba and uh, started flying A320s. Um, at 44, I was, 44, 45. So my message is really, you know, as a woman... Uh, you can do these things, obviously, that's lesson number one. But lesson number two is also that don't be scared to change professions at some point in your life just because it's scary. We can do this. Uh, Not just women, but men also. Uh, If you don't like the profession that you're in, then change it. Go do something that you actually are passionate about. That's my big message. Well, I'd say that men generally could, can become pilots. Maybe, maybe not Rohan and I specifically, but men in general could, could become pilots <laughs> for, for sure. Um, no, that, that's just, that's super fascinating. It's not a common pathway into um, into into the, the pilot lifestyle. Um, you know, that late into your career, uh, so that, that, that's definitely fascinating. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe maybe a good place to start. There's so much to unpack there, but maybe a good place to start would be 
what was the experience like being, you know, the first female commercial pilot in in Aruba? Um, and and kind of how did that experience go for you? Because I'm sure it was not always an easy journey. Uh, no, it was not. Um, the you could probably imagine in a small on a small island like Aruba. I mean, we have a population of 100 and what 30,000 people or something. There's mm. a small group of pilots, and they're all male, and they all know each other, and they all give each other jobs when a new airline starts up or when an airline drops out, etc. So it it wasn't it wasn't easy to get in, but with you know a bunch of help from my husband actually, and you know also my qualifications. I mean, I was fully qualified to do the job, so at some point. I had to be hired, and and I was, and rightfully so. So once I was hired, I mean, on my own merit, with with the exact uh, qualifications that were that were required, then at that point it's 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 just whatever, you know, the guys do, I have to do too. It's not like it's different, right? It's not like I have to. Um, I don't know, like it's easier for women or easier for men. It's just that it's, it's on in small in small communities like this, it's a it's like a, a friends and family politics type thing. And that's why it was hard for me to get in. But once I got in, it went that's the same as everyone else. That's and it was it was great. I mean, um it was a big deal, I must say, for the island. Uh I was a bit of a famous person for a while. That was it. But I didn't really, I didn't want to go to the grocery store to think people that recognized me or on like the front pages of the magazines and the newspaper. <laughs> Even on our small little island. It sounds, it sounds silly, but it did happen. And, uh, and, and in, in that sense, what I really, what was important to me was I I thought hey I can take this to the next level and I can encourage uh, more boys and girls to do things that that normally aren't meant to be for boys or girls, uh, you know, and I guess you know how many how many girls do we know that that are plumbers? Hardly any. How many girls do we know that are electricians? Hardly any. How many mm-hmm. girls do we know that are pilots? Well, me. So, um, then, then on the flip side, how many boys do we know that are manicurists? Not many, you know, st- stuff like that. So just break the stigma, uh, and try to educate children uh, from a young age on that, you know, things don't have to necessarily be the way that they're in, I guess, in society supposed to be. So... That turned into a bit of a passion for me, and it still is a passion for me. I still go to schools, and I still talk to children. I mean, last Women's Day, I did a presentation at another school. I just, I, I really, really, really enjoy doing that, and and uh, encouraging uh, boys, girls, and boys, not just girls, to do things, but also boys to do things that might not be. Uh, like sus- uh, the, what the society says that we should be doing. 
So you had mentioned that your parents encourage you to go to the business route. And so therefore, before you started a family, you mentioned you were at American Airlines. Were you in a sales role? Were you in the airport? Were you in operations? And did that also kind of help with cultivating the dream eventually because you got to see the operations of an airline from that perspective and basically become um, an airline uh, employee family member? <laughs> oh, yes, for sure. I was in operations and um, also in uh, on the security side. So... Um, so I got I got to see both both ends of of the the spectrum when it comes to ground airline side and then of course I got to be in the planes all the time as well and that really like peppered my my instinct to want to or interest to want to uh go fly. I mean that 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 desire to fly never went away obviously cuz that's you know, if you, if it's, it's been with you for, you know, now 48, but if it's been with you for all those years and at 40, you start like flying seriously, go back to school basically, um, to learn all the ins and outs and start studying, you know, stuff that you wouldn't have even thought of when you were in high school, but it's still something that, that sat with me. So yeah. Being at American Airlines was was definitely uh, the catalyst to uh, to my profession now, it, and it, um, and I wish I was flying for American Airlines. Were you working in the islands or? <clears throat> what happened in Aruba? Yes, in Aruba. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you've been able to see the evolution of American Airlines in the Caribbean too, and how that's like. Yeah changed over the last couple decades from when it had a San Juan hub and yeah. when, you know, Miami became kind of the, the central focus for it. And so in those times, was it common to see a lot of employees that were part of American Airlines or any other airline in Aruba? Was there a very familial element to it? Because you mentioned, you know, it's a small island. I'm sure there are a lot of people that take great pride in working for an airline there. And so I suppose, was that also kind of a nice way in which you were able to establish community and, and stay very connected to that passion? 100% correct. Absolutely. These people that, that uh, I worked with are still my, some of my best friends. Um, I'll go to the airport here and it's all bear hugs, etc. I know people in Curacao uh, that used to work for American Airlines here, moved to Curacao, then uh, now are running the show in in Charlotte. Um, I mean, it's the the airline world, or I should say, the airline or aviation world is is a very small community, very tight knit community, and uh, you know we take care of each other. That's the way it goes is really 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 nice yeah i was gonna say it's it's probably definitely a different experience sort of being a employee of the main airline at an international outstation like i would imagine that's a very different experience than being working for american at, at charlotte or at miami um so i would imagine that you get to know folks pretty well there's probably not as much turnover as you might see in like atlanta right where 
you know, there's just baggage handlers or, or whoever they're just turning over, right? Because it's a much bigger operation and there's a lot less um, stability there. So that, that's definitely interesting. Um, you know, I, I actually want to change gears a little bit and, and ask a little bit more about your experiences training. So what, um, you know, what was that, what was that training process like, um, you know, in terms of getting your certification in terms of getting enough hours up in the air? Um, yeah. Talk, talk to us more about how the, the actual like, training and certification process, what process went for you? Uh, so I moved part time to Florida and, um, because the flying, uh, your, is, is better there. There's more hours of flight there than let's say at first, at first I started flying in, in New Jersey cause I was, I used to live in Pennsylvania. So New Jersey was sort of close, uh, at Trenton, but then I started flying in, uh, or I, it just became too complicated with the weather. It was winter and, you know, there's always some reason why you can't, you can't go, get up in the air, especially if you're just, you know, doing your private pilot's license. Um, now you sort of have to have perfect weather to fly, to learn. So uh, I moved part-time to Florida where I would have more uh, hours of flight during, during a day or a week or a month. And... Um, and started flying out of there and, and did hours and hours and hours of training. And so then first it was my private pilot's license. And then, um, then came my instrument license. Then came my commercial license and then my dual. And from there, in order to be hired for this airline that I worked for, they required a, um, for me to get my uh, Airbus 320 license on my own, which I did as well, and I also did that. I did that in Miami actually, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a road. It's an investment, obviously, but it's just like going to college, really. Um, some airlines still require a an actual degree, which I don't understand because what what we do as uh to to get all our licenses is like getting a, a degree it's a lot of studying it's it's you know you learn everything from hydraulics to engines to i mean i think i i don't know how to change my toilet plumbing but it's it's i know a lot about things <laughs> i can cook too and have babies how cool is that <laughs> to be to be fair, mo mo most college graduates also don't know how to change the the pipes in, in their toilet. So I think I think you're you're in a good company there. Um, so I just have to ask you about Jersey. Um, so you mentioned that you, you did your 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 training up in Jersey. Um, did you ever fly out of Central Jersey Airport, kind of near Manville, Hillsborough, Somerville? Like, is that no, ringing any bell? I was flying out of uh, Trenton. Gotcha. Okay. Because the one and only flight lesson that I ever took was actually out of that airport. So I, fig I figured I'd ask just in case. Um, no, no, no. But it was out of Trenton. And, my, and funny enough, the first time that I flew by myself, so my first solo, uh, this is my my instructor. You know, we'd already done a few loops. Uh, and and he goes, okay, you're on your own. And he got out of the plane and walked off. I'm like, what? <laughs> So here I am taxiing off to, to, uh, he goes, yeah, now you have to do three takeoffs and landings. 
I'm taxiing off and I'm I'm sort of radioing, you know, here's a 40-year-old woman, like, scared on the, on the radio. Why? Right? Um, and there's, um, so I took off and landed. And then the first person who congratulated me was the captain of an A320. Uh, it was, um, what airline was it again? Uh, anyway, some A320 captain congratulated me. And I'm like... I'm like, okay. And I look behind me and he's like right behind me going, <laughs> wow, that's so cool. So like, I'm like this tiny little mosquito and there was a plane that I ended up flying later. So, uh, go figure. Maybe there was, uh, Suddenly passengers asked for his head when, when the flight was two and a half minutes delayed into Philadelphia. <laughs> it was destiny. It was fun. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Did you end up having to get all the way to, so in the U.S., obviously, we've got the 1,500-hour rule now that's been in place since 08, 09. Did you yep. have to get all the way to 1,500 hours to get your commercial license, uh, or what was no. the... No, because um, for your commercial license, you need a minimum of 250 hours, the FAA rule. If you want to... Now, there's a difference between commercial license and an ATP license, right? So... Gotcha. So commercial is one thing, and ATP is air transport pilot. So, in the U, if you want to fly for a U.S. airline, which I did not fly for a U.S. airline, but if you want to fly for a U.S. airline, you need a minimum of fifteen hundred hours because you need that ATP Correct. license. The minimum here in Aruba is five hundred hours. So with five hundred hours, I was able to fly a three twenty. That's just different rules for different countries. Do you have any intentions of potentially, you know, relocating countries or is Aruba really home for you? And even though you lived in the U.S. somewhat, you might be considering, I mean, not that <laughs> you would be jumping over to Dubai to go fly A3s for Emirates. <laughs> it's just, um, but yeah. Well, so, yes, uh, I could live and work in the U.S., um, if I wanted to, and I'm still contemplating it, but it's a, it's a quality of life that, that, uh, I'm after. And yeah, I mean, they're definitely looking, looking for desperately for pilots in the U S yeah. I, and, I was going to say like, like if you, if you want, if you want to fly in the U S like literally any of the carriers will accept you tomorrow. You come with a license, you come with flying hours, like they're, they're desperate. So like, you just got to <laughs> say the word to them yeah. apparently. Yeah, no, I that it's it's true. You're you're right, and it's it's just a point of whether I want to or not. I mean, uh, Aruba is home. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's, I, I I hear Aruba nice. I well, I mean, it's a nice and easy commute to to make, but uh, I mean, hey, more, yeah. more power. <laughs> there's yeah. also family obligations. You know, my mother's having you know, health issues and whatever. So. You know, it's, I, I need to, I need to weigh the options, but it's definitely, uh, definitely, I, I'm, I'm not saying no to that. I, I, I love flying. I want to fly and flying in the U S is great because it's just so organized I'm flying in, in Europe also. But then if I wanted to go fly in Europe, that's the same 
I would I would have to get my licenses updated because I have FAA licenses. I don't have EASA licenses. So I would actually uh, probably have to go back to school <laughs> and get and and get those EASA licenses if I wanted to fly in Gary. So while you were in training, did you manage to come across other individuals like women who were in flight school that you've been able to connect with and stay connected to? Or are you part of any group? I, I noticed that when you produced your Mother's Day article, which by the way, check it out if you haven't had a chance to, um, you included a few photos of the Air India all-female cabin crew or the Chicks Fix, which I think was the United Airlines um, employees that work in the mechanics um, group that uh, were involved in some competition. Um, have you sort of, I know you've got a lot on your plate, obviously with your family and with your flying. Um, but as you mentioned, the airline industry is small. And so, um, was that also a nice way to kind of broaden your, your circles to stay in touch with some of those people and their journeys? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. Um, my instructor, my main instructor was, uh, a female, Rachel. And she flies for United. No, she probably did. Anyway, she flies. She flies commercially now. She flies for an airline now. And then um, I have another friend, uh, Natalie. She flies for United now, and she was recently in a Ruvana layover. And we got together. We had lunch and sat on the beach and had a good time. So it's. Uh, even so, even like you know the the aviation community is small to begin with, but then the female pilot community is even smaller, and we stand up for each other. I mean, it's still just um, I would say seven, maybe it's now eight uh, percent of pilots that are female, but yeah, we stand up for each other, and um, I don't think there's much. Uh, or what do you, what you would call jealousy or envy or something? I think what I've se- what I've seen in in the the private uh, female pilot groups is that um, there will be female pilots that that work for an airline or a uh, could be a private operation or a flight school or something, and they will post on in on these private uh, Facebook the female pilot Facebook groups that hey we're looking for pilots we want more girls here please come on over and and uh it helps those who are still looking to build their hours to their their 1500 or whatever or experience etc or just looking for a job it helps them and it's a really it's a really nice uh it's just really nice to have that camaraderie amongst each other not that we don't like male pilots, but I mean, we gotta help each other out, right? And and uh, uh, like this is obviously from, I guess it's it's it's, it's you uh, getting together, right, and having this Marguerite. But have you seen maybe some steps that the aviation industry has taken to improve women's representation, or you know, uh, training, or just uh, to facilitate that? Or you think there there needs to be further action to to achieve gender Sorry. parity? Well, what I think is that it 
it's it, my personal opinion, of course, is that, um, you know, it would be nice to see more ladies that are flying, but it also would, it would be nice to have just more diversity of pilots flying. And in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, black, green, purple, male or female, Right. you need to be able to fly a plane safely. So that that's where that's where you know uh uh pilots from you know whether whether you're female or male or you are you know black green or yellow or purple uh we all need to encourage children uh from a young age that that these are options right we need to and and that's why I enjoy going to these schools and and tell them, tell uh, speak to children and just tell them, hey, you want to be a pilot? Be a pilot? I was able to be a pilot. Why can't you? You know, there's nothing all that special about me, besides the fact that you know I was that was my interest to do it. Is you're if you're interested enough to do a certain thing, then you will succeed. Right. So, if part you know if you're interested interested in being you know a, a politician then you will be a politician if you're is it being an architect will be an architect okay, but i do want to be a pirate yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, but i mean i do kind of maybe think about well you need to have certain type of mentality and you know and right yeah i mean it doesn't matter uh your background yeah. or or anything but there is you know, I don't know if I don't know. I have a problem, maybe, problem maybe I could be a pirate. Just... Yeah. No, but the problem with aviation is that that it's this it's this thing that that um it, I I'm going I'm going back to stigma now that you know the general opinion is still that and it's changing, which is good, but the general opinion is still that that the pilots are mm. male. Right, and it's not. I mean, we see more and more all female cockpit crews or all female crews in general, and yeah, it makes me proud. But it shouldn't be that way. It really should just be normal. That oh, what I mean, why are we making a big fuss over a female pilot? Exactly. It's because it's still special. Yeah. It's still different. Yeah, but that that is the mentality that is still I guess in people's brains but it's slowly changing and that's good we're on the right track get up to speed on the commercial aviation industry with the top stories of the week by subscribing for free to the Airways NOTAM newsletter you won't have to worry about missing a thing every new edition of the Airways NOTAM goes directly to your inbox Go to airwaysmagazine.substack.com slash subscribe. That's airwaysmagazine.substack.com slash subscribe. With regards to some people thinking that one of the biggest roadblocks for them to becoming a pilot happens to be cost or hours or even just opportunity costs, like being away from their family, right? Um, not to mention, if they do achieve the goal of getting certified, the continuous absence from their family. And 
there are some examples too where you know somebody might be married when they decide to go on this adventure and then their marriage uh, may not last afterwards and so if their children are still young you know they have to be able to figure out a schedule uh, so you know considering those things you know the hours the family time the traveling itself and the cost associated with it what are your sort of guidelines in order to you know, sort of throw those things aside and say, you know, I know you mentioned like the politician thing, you can be that. Um, but I do believe that those are sometimes mental blocks that, that can prevent someone from doing that. I certainly, for me, at least I would love to get my pilot's license. Uh, I just don't have access to a, a flight school that's nearby me here in Chicago that, uh, would allow that endeavor to take place. Not to mention the expense of doing that. Um, I feel like I might have to wait till I'm in my forties. So fall in your footsteps. Yeah. Now, so, um, if someone, if someone wants to become a commercial airline pilot, like from, if, if you're a teenager, you're in high school, whatever, you want to become a a commercial airline pilot, how much does it cost to go to college? Right. Just a normal college, like a, a college to become what? An engineer or something. It's 50 grand a year. At least, right? I mean, colleges in the U.S. Not, not necessarily, right? Like, like, like co- colleges in the U.S. vary pretty widely in costs. I think the average cost that you end up paying is about <clears throat> is about twenty grand a year um, after financial aid and scholarships for the typical student. Um, your your point yes. is taken that like other pathways are expensive, but becoming a pilot is still arguably more expensive in terms of you're paying an upfront cost. Um, you're, but you're also committing to a very long process. So I, I do, I do think that there are some differences, especially when you you tell a student initially, right? Let me sorry, go ahead. Wait, wait, let me get this straight. No, so we're, talk, I, we're talking about four years. Am I right? For, uh, from yeah. forty, and then at 40. I did, I did mine. I did mine when I started um, at forty, right. and it took me two and a half years but i took my time because i was back and forth between between the u.s you know going to flight school in 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 florida and in aruba with for my responsibilities in aruba so i was being i was going back and forth i could have done that in a year and a half and my my point is that going to college i mean i don't know what college you're talking about but the colleges my daughters went to were unfortunately not that cheap and they, well, uh, you should have, you should have talked to me about I, it. Um, <laughs> too little, too late now, of course, but um, could have probably helped you out. No. Um, no, 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 that though, no, they they had their minds set on other things, but they did get some some grants here and there. But anyway, the um, the thing is that the, the, the cost of going to flight school is about the same cost as going to college, right? There's, there's, it, it might be. A little more expensive but these days like you've mentioned you know airlines need pilots and they're not requiring a, a four-year degree which makes no sense to me anyway like why would i have a four-year degree in business and then also go study to be a pilot that's that's it's it's not i, I absolutely hear you on that but but i also would imagine that the 1500 hour rule is daunting for some folks right in terms of i've got to go get yeah, 1500 hours of experience before I get to that ATP life. No, but you can, but you, you can, you can teach while, while you're, 
you know, you can get your you can get your uh, your instructor's license with five hundred hours or less, even, and then and then teach and teach and teach, and while you're teaching, you're making money and you're getting to your fifteen hundred hours. That's that's the route that most most pilots take anyway these days. So then you're, you're making sure. money while you get your 800 hours. Then you go apply to the airlines and you're at the regionals. And then eventually you go to the majors. So yeah, I, I think you just laid out the world's first good pyramid, pyramid scheme, right? Like you, you, you get your first 500 hours and then you entice someone else into the profession and you're teaching them. But it, but it ends in a good cause, right? Which is more pilots. In the uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll, call it, so we'll call it a good pyramid scheme. Well, I don't like to call it that because the fear of its schemes are usually not <laughs> so great. But you know, you know what I'm saying. You're you have your you have your uh, instructors, uh, your no, CFI, sure. right? And you and your CFII, whatever. And you start teaching. And while you're teaching, you're gaining hours. Right. And then, I mean, this happens all the time. Happens to my instructor, my favorite instructor, Rachel, and um. She she said to me, Martin, I'm sorry, but I have my 1500 hours. I'm out of here. I'm like, oh, going really? <laughs> no, I, you know. And there's also I, there's also a push for like you, you, if you see like the United Aviate program. I mean, there are things that are, airlines know that they need to streamline um, that pathway, to, you know, yeah. to become pilots. So, and it's and it's silly, you know, to to demand that 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 new hires also have a degree in something you know like engineering or business or you know law or whatever it it seems it, it they the two that don't have much to do with each other i mean you're studying to be a pilot this is my opinion right this don't take this as you know the way it is but studying to be a pilot is hard enough right and if you're going to be a pilot, if that is what your dream is, then why do you need a engineering degree? This is across the board for the United States, like for all, all airlines. No, it's changing. Okay. That uh, most airlines are are sort right. of like getting off that. Right. They're not requiring that anymore, which is good. Yeah, you mentioned that. They're moving in the correct direction, in my opinion. Like, so what was your perhaps scariest moment? and training like just in terms of did you have any sort of moments of doubt or moments where you're like this is going to be such an endeavor were you ever at a point where you doubted yourself or did you manage to just kind of rely on the people around you to say hey i got this that no actually funny enough i was just enjoying it and Good for I, you. It's it's a it's it's possibly this does. I did it when I was older, and I had already done so many things in my life. That you know, at that point, it was like, okay, well, this is money that I'm spending. I want to have this. I want to do this, and I'm going to go for it. And yeah, did I did I sometimes go? Oh my God, what? what is this all about? Like, can someone please explain to me what this is all? But I had so many people in, in my corner, I guess. And, and so many nice instructors that, that were willing to explain things to me that were completely foreign. Uh, 
I mean, I had no idea where cryclolics were, right? Yeah. So they they laid it out for me. I'm like, okay, well, now it makes sense. You know, that definitely helps. You know, it's like even in education, like higher education, if you. I remember when I went to graduate school and I was working full time and going to school and I thought to myself, I'm so lucky that the people in my cohort, like the 70 of them out of all 70 of them, I probably like 65 of them. Um, it makes a, it makes a huge difference, right? When you yes. know that there's accountability, that there's camaraderie there. And also that there will be those people that you can ask stupid questions in front of, you can be yourself in front of, and there are instructors there that have your back because they want you to be successful. Nobody wants just to churn pilots through an academy so that they can be poor pilots or poorly equipped. I mean, they, they want you to succeed in the skies for not only the safety of the passengers and also just to, you know, Presumably, make sure that that's what you were thinking about is making sure that the passengers are safe. But, but yes, yeah, no, I, I think there, there's something in there in the I'm sense that tell you something. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. A, an instructor needs you to be safe, right? Because their signature is on every page, or every, I should say not every page, every line of your log. Right. Their instructor number and their signature on every single line in your logbook. Now, when they sign you off to do a check ride, their, their reputation and everything is on the line. When you do your check ride, the guy or girl or lady who does the check ride, that person becomes responsible for you. So there's no such thing as, oh, well, you know, they just want you to do well. No, 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 no. They must have you do well. There's no ifs, buts, or whens. That you will be a safe pilot. If you're not a safe pilot, you shouldn't be up there at all. No, for sure. And I think it's easy to sometimes, you know, make jokes or be sarcastic about the FAA, which I'm certainly guilty of if you've listened to any of the recent episodes of this podcast. Um, but, but you know, underneath all, all of that that humor, there is, you know, it is, we, we take the level of safety that exists, um, particularly in the West, but really all over the world with airline pilots for granted. But the system that you just described is really what sits. That's where that starts, right? It starts there. It starts with manufacturers who go through these incredibly rigorous certification processes on their side. It starts with airlines who take safety seriously every day, right? Um, and so we're now in a world where, like, even a, a near miss incident is like, you know, we're we're doing a national investigation into what's happening. Yeah. You go back forty years, you go to different parts of the world. You know, crashes were understood to be a common occurrence. Maybe sixty or seventy years back is a better analogy there. And so the amount of progress that has has come, the, the system that you just described, I think, is like a real part of that for sure. Yes, and the moment the moment that an accident does happen, they will go back to the person. So let's say I had an accident, they will go to the the last person that they that, that signed you off. So whether that's a a, a check ride or a sim a recurrent sim, etc., the last person that that checked you off. So a person, it's a sim instructor or a or a um, uh, a line uh, instructor, a check airman, check pilot. They call them now. It used to be check airman. I thought that was strange. Now it's check yeah. pilots. The check pilot signs you off. 
you are a safe, you are deemed a safe pilot. So the moment something happens to someone, they're going to go to the last person inside you. Talk about accountability. Yeah. That's a way. My, so uh, I'll tell you, my, my uh, ex-husband, the father of my children, uh, is a Czech pilot for American Airlines. And I've been through this something for you know, 25 years or something. So I had a little experience knowing how the system works, etc. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's accountability. It, it is exactly what that is. It's like, okay, this person screws up. Let's go to the person who signed you off before. And like, if, if, if that person deemed you safe, then what happened? You know? Yeah. That's all part of, uh, let's say an accident investigation for sure. So. Yeah, it's all about procedures as well. And it's like. Aviation is the, is the foster child for, for procedures. At all. Yep. For maintenance. True yeah. story. Half-sake, which I've, I've worked. I don't know enough about maintenance to comment on that, but I'm, I presume that it's the same way. Because they all have a, you know, a, a system. Like, this needs to be done. That's it. I mean, it's like, it's like a, a checklist in, in the cockpit. You know, the the checklist is there for a reason. Every button in the in the cockpit is there for a reason. It's not, you know, a fun like yeah. oh, they're looking at a red button. You know, it's there for a reason. <laughs> no, like, the, the intentionality like, is really interesting, right? No, I was going to say that the inten- intentionality of every piece of an airplane, um, it's it's I think mind boggling to a lot of folks who like you work in tech. Oh, there's a bug. We'll get that fixed. But it's very different than, oh, you work in aircraft manufacturing. There's a bug. Something very different and very much worse is going to happen, right? So um, the level of specificity that each layer of that chain, from manufacturers to pilots to maintenance folks um, to airline operations and, and ground staff, everyone is the, – the level of regimentation, I think, is hard for people who are outside of the industry. And you know, technically, I count myself as outside of it um, to, to grasp sometimes. Absolutely. They say that every, and this sounds a little dark, but they say that every button in the cockpit has blood on it. Yeah. There for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, uh, I wanted to ask you if that um, brings about mental health and aviation. I think that there's been a lot of conversation lately about the mental health of pilots, the mental health of cabin crew, um, and is it a conversation that exists in Aruba? It may be something that exists just in other parts of the world, but also especially with the pandemic and, you know, with some of the uncertainty that was there, um, is it something that's kind of fallen into your orbital or is it something that you think about often? Uh, thank you for asking that question. Um, I deal with it personally. I, I happen to have a lot of, um, friends who are in the airline business and we converse about that privately really and um yeah you got to take breaks you know 
we all know we all know when when the time is right that we need a break and uh as as pilots you know there's no shame in saying hey listen i just i just can't fly today you know or i i need a i need a break i mean you nobody would want a an unfit or tired or unfit and on on whatever level pilot flying your planes right so it is uh that's an it's an open discussion i a pilot can and will and should call in sick when they really need to and that's whether you're physically you know you're have a fever or whatever or whether you're too tired or uh you're you're not mentally there that day i mean let's let's not forget you have a bunch of lives in your hands it's not that's that's nothing you should be playing around with for sure right for sure and there's never and there should never ever ever be pressure from any boss or any airline to go fly anyway that's just not one of our guests uh uh christmas he wrote an article about uh, exactly that, you know, the, dealing with mental mental health. I think it was the time, you know, as you know, post pandemic hit. There were there were not reports, but there there were talk there there was talk about just pilots being overworked, right? So it is yeah. an issue. No, but it was all that. At, at, it is an issue. You're right, but it was all it was also. Uh, you know the uncertainty. So that's that's more like, you know, psychological. It's just that you know, if if a pilot's not not okay to fly, you, the pilot should have, and without any shame, should have the option to just say, you know what, not today. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and that's why there's there's reserve pilots, and they. The big airlines have have schedules with reserve pilots, like for that reason, they even have pilots on reserve sitting in the airport waiting for a call just like this. And I mean, nobody's nobody's perfect twenty four seven, so three sixty five. Yeah. Should go that way. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> yes, for sure. It is good one, to know. And one of the questions I wanted to have you answer on a more um, bright note is what was that feeling like when you were in the plane for the first time and you're like, I'm doing this or like your favorite moment in a layover or just in the skies where like nothing could get you down. Like your smile was just, you know, across your face and you're like, I freaking did this. I feel like a champ. That was my... Uh, it was funny. It was my first takeoff and my first landing. I took off from from uh, Santiago de Cuba and flew to Aruba. And um, I had a hard, I personally had a hard time believing I was actually doing it, <laughs> but I had to. And so I had the captain. The, uh, this is all of us in the cockpit. A male captain. A male 
a safety pilot because it was my first flight in case I, you know, I couldn't do what I was supposed to do and that pilot would take over and male mechanic. So I had three sets of eyes on me and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this. (laughs) I took off and the whole thing, you know, here we're navigating through like, like thunderstorms and the, and the, uh, the captain's like, yeah, so what would you decide now? You know, I said, well, I would go right. <laughs> Judging the winds, I think I would go right because, you know, if you go left and you're being, you're going to be pushed back into the clouds. We, were, we, we don't want to do that. So flying around the clouds and then, and then, uh, and flying into Aruba. And I'm like, I cannot believe that I'm actually, I have 180 passengers behind me. I cannot believe I'm actually doing this. So he goes, he, the, the guy goes, no, 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 do you see, do you see the crossbars over there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, okay, you ready to fly? I uh, know. Yeah. He goes, okay, turn off the autopilot. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do this then. Now I have video of me, um, this it still puts a smile on my face and brings tears to my eyes at the same time. I had video of me from behind me, so the two guys sitting behind me in the in the jump seats, and of my husband filming me landing for the first time. And it was, I I must pat myself on my shoulder, but it was such a smooth landing. He he goes, whoa. Smooth ASS. I can't say that on this on this thing, but smooth ASS landing, baby. <laughs> uh, on his video, this my husband, and I'm like, wow, you know. So, yeah. Sometimes if I need a a little pep up, I watch that. That's cool. And that was that was that moment, but I swear to you, I was scared to death. I couldn't. I, I couldn't believe that I was actually doing that. It was fun. <laughs> Sounds fun. Sounds fun. Have you had it? No, no. It was, it was such a great experience. Of course, I mean, of course I was meant to do it. Of course I was supposed to do it. I studied it for, for it. I was qualified to do it. All, all of that stuff. But I still couldn't believe that I was actually doing it. <laughs> but yeah. have you had... I did not uh, any close calls or just, you know, emergency types of situations where you had to handle that. The closest call that I've had was when I was doing my um, instrument, uh, instrument license or instrument qualification and was flying out of Pompano Beach that a, that a bird hit the cowling uh but no emergency landing or anything no big deal that was about it actually and of course in the sim they make you do all sorts of crazy right right. you have to you have to be ready for it that's what you're trained for you do i mean you have upset recovery training which is really sort of fun it's nice to know that you're in a sim but <laughs> and nothing, nothing really bad can happen. But uh, no, it's it's an exciting, uh, an exciting life, an exciting profession. 
I highly recommend it. And where's your favorite place to lay over? Or where's been your favorite layover spot? Um, Besides Florida, you know. Yeah. So I say. And here I thought she was going to say central New Jersey, that um, <clears throat> hotbed of culture and uh, cosmopolitan living. Yeah, you know, and, and, uh, before, before people get mad at me, I, I, I grew up in Central Jersey, so I, I, get, I get to make these jokes. Oh, okay. It's okay. So, we uh, so spent a lot of time in Cuba. Okay. Super nice people. Um, we were there when, 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 uh, spent an extended time there at a Poland bit. Mm, okay. Had, uh, Got to know the the people over there quite quite well. It was nice. It was nice. But I'd rather be hooked my own bed. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I wanted to circle back uh, uh, to you know maybe if you could share a memorable experience when you had the opportunity to speak to kids. You know about flying jets and and. If, you know, it's seeing their their eyes light up like, oh, I think I want to go flying. No, that was that was fun. We we once had um a uh it was a group of kids. They was it a soccer team, some sports team yeah. on the plane, boys and girls, and uh, we had a mechanical delay, but everyone was on the plane already, so. It, I went back there, talked to the kids, whatever, and I said, kids, do you want to come, like, up front and check this out? I didn't ask the captive, but I did it anyway. And but I had a cool captain. So, one by one, these kids were coming in and like, oh, my God, you know, what does this do? What does that do? You know, you have them sit in your seat, and, and uh, the moms were... You know, standing in the in the galley, staring inside as well, because they probably wanted to do the same thing that the kids were doing. But uh, that is, I just love doing that. The the just, uh, I guess that's the mom and me. Right. You know, to to show them the other side of the coin, and to to let them see, um, a little more of, of what that's like, because. Now you you never know who you might might inspire in, in in such a short moment, right? Right. It's a it's a privilege. That's what that means to me, actually. Uh, but what do you hope to achieve? Like perhaps in terms of women representation, is it you think uh, there should be more to do? Um, are there any steps that you think you might be able to? You know, like this podcast, just being here, but maybe other other activities that that you. Oh sure, yeah. I'm happy. I'm always happy to be a part of Airways. I think it's great. Good. I I. <laughs> yeah, I haven't driven in a while for sure. So I I, I do want you back. No, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I need I need inspiration. Yeah. I do appreciate that you're calling her out in a public forum for, for not writing enough. Yeah, I haven't written in five years, so you know. I would love, you know, for real, I need to. Yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, I would love for all you know 
Vinay, Ron, for sure. Vinay, it would be great to have uh, uh, a few posts from you guys. Um, yeah, I'll come back. I mean, I had to I had to withdraw a few years ago because I went to go work for another airline that uh, prohibited me from riding, but I'm no longer with that airline. So yeah, yeah, manufacturers do yeah. as well. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and now we're business nerd types, right? So we don't get to write as I'm soaring above the clouds and, you know, <laughs> tilting the door. Like, that's not what we write. We, we write much more nerdy, you know, mathy kind of business strategy stuff. So. The November issue, Aries Magazine, is now available, packed with intriguing stories that will take you on a journey through aviation history. Simone Calini and Adrian Nowakowski delve into our cover story, Finnair's Rich Path, and tell us what's next for this century-old airline. Baba Tahave recounts the history of the Boeing 737 at El Al as the airline prepares to take delivery of its first A321neos and to lose its proudly all-Boeing status. Marty Basaria interviews Rohini Sengupta, Director of Sustainability and Decarbonization at one of the world's largest airlines, United. Also in this issue, Joe Wolf argues that McDonnell Douglas and Lockheed missed a fateful opportunity in the 1960s when they respectively developed the DC-10 and the L-1011 at the same time. And finally, our very own David H. Stringer flies back to the origin of United States overseas airlines, possibly the largest U.S. scheduled airline you've never heard of. Go to airwaysmag.com shop to get the latest issue. And now we continue with our plus extension where Rohan and Vinay discuss the developments in Chinese aviation. Thanks. thanks for coming on our podcast. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for hanging it's out with season. us and putting up with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in season two. No, no, no. We've had 10 episodes and two of which have had pilots on there. I mean, like, you know, you oh, and God. Chris Smith. Yeah. Chris. yeah. No, you are you are special for <laughs> several reasons. Um, not that Chris <laughs> isn't. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's really neat that we've been able to kind of expand into this and not just talk about earnings or... Aircraft orders or new routes or, you know. It gets dense. Static. It gets dense. Believe yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, this is perfect. I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah. We are honored. Thank you. All right. Any, any, please let me know if you're in Chicago anytime. I mean, I certainly recommend coming in the summertime. Um, and yeah. I'm not right now. It's just what he's trying to say. So, so, so plan something for like June or July. Yeah, I'll be here. <laughs> so. Let me know and I can show you around. Uh, and Aruba is definitely a place I would like to visit someday. So I'll show you around. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm a big scuba diver, so if there's a if there's a lot of diving there, I'm sure yeah. it's free. Very nice diving. Any final sh- very, very nice. shout outs or you know like a special message that you want to uh, our, our listeners? Since uh, it is October and it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I would like to wish all Breast cancer survivors and cancer survivors in the Ted, all the best. All be fine. You have a good fight. Yes. You're our heroes. And true that. Well, thank you very much, Mary, for being with us and, and sharing your your journey, your experience. Yeah. Thank you. 
This is definitely one of the most unique and fun podcasts that I think uh, we've recorded. And Vinay and I have recorded many over the years. So um, this was really a gift and uh, quite uh, unique for us. So I really hope our listeners, and I'm sure they will, enjoy it as much as we have had recording it. So yeah, we'll be sure to share it far and wide. Indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks. Thank you.